This is the weekly podcast from Spotswood at Ladysmith in Caroline County, Virginia, USA. Rick Nicely is the lead pastor. Let's go ahead and start out with our word of prayer as we finish out our uncertain series. Father in heaven, thank you so much for today. Thank you for your word. God, thank you that all the things you're teaching me about um, what you showed uh, people in scripture, how you shape them, mold them during uncertain times, what you're what you're teaching us corporately, Father. Thank you so much for our community group leaders, our elders, others who are ministering and loving on each other, God. I just pray you'll continue to allow us, God, to foster community, uh, even though we can't physically be together. And God, that as we grow, God, we'll come back even stronger than before. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, listen, we're finishing out our Uncertain series, and we're going to finish on the life of Paul. Uh, as you know, we, we covered Job, uh, we covered Abraham and Daniel, and um, we even call, uh, covered the uh, disciples last week. And so we're going to be talking about uh, the Apostle Paul and what we're learning from him. We're going to really use one main text, and then I'm going to unpack a bunch of information to you about uh, who, a man who eventually became Paul but was Saul first, and all the things that we can learn and glean uh, from his life during uncertain times as we finish out this series, uh, Uncertain. Uh, the church in difficult times. Let me go ahead, if you will, turn to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and I'm going to read a text here. It's really just one verse, and it says this, uh, but he said to me, meaning Jesus, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And so um, let's go ahead and just start there. I, I just want to unpack, if you don't know who the Apostle Paul is, maybe you do or maybe you don't, I'm just going to give you a brief Rundown. Paul uh, was not one of the original 12 disciples. Uh, he came to faith um, after Jesus' uh, resurrection and ascension. ascension. And um, he was kind of uh, saved in, in some uh, unusual circumstances. And so uh, what, what we see early is we're introduced to, to Saul in chapter 7, where we see the stoning of Stephen and a young, uh, very zealous uh, Jewish leader. And he, he gave approval. And we see that he ravished the church in chapter 8. And in fact, literally says that he was breathing out murderous thoughts in chapter 9, going away, going about persecuting the way or what was known as the early church. And so this is what we see. He was a Roman citizen. Um, eventually, when God saved him, he saved him and sent him about doing the work um, of the gospel in the Gentile areas of the world. And so ultimately we know that um, Paul was martyred for his faith. But I want to go ahead and give you the big idea this morning. And we're going to really kind of unpack three things. One, lessons we learned from Paul's salvation. The other thing is what we learned from Paul's trials. And then ultimately what we learned from Paul's mindset or attitude uh, when it comes to this life of Christianity and what it means to uh, be an advance, advancing God's kingdom. So let me give you the big idea today. The big idea is this. Paul's life is a beautiful picture that demonstrates God's grace being sufficient no matter your circumstances in life. No matter your circumstances in life. So what do we see first from Paul's uh, salvation? One is this. We know that um, in Romans 10, Paul says this. He says that, For I bear witness, for I bear them witness that they have zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. This is what we see, Paul. So what I first want you to grab is this. You can have zeal for God and still not be following Jesus. 
And, and so we see Paul, he was, he was a, um, a guy who zealously followed the law, okay? But his heart was still from, far from God because he did not know Jesus. And so we see him going about persecuting the way, persecuting the early church, not only killing uh, people, but throwing them in prison and torturing them and, 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 and disrupting families and um, shutting down their businesses, doing whatever he can to derail them from following Jesus. So in lots of ways, um, Paul was like a modern-day terrorist in lots of ways. This is what we see. Saul, Saul, Paul, Saul uh, who eventually becomes Paul, Saul was uh, persecuting the church and just pursuing them. Um, and so he had zeal for God, but he was not following Jesus. So this is what we see early from uh, Saul, who eventually becomes Paul. The second thing is this. No one is beyond the saving grace of God. Again, we see this in chapter 7, 8, and 9, where we see Paul, I mean, who was Saul, Saul who was persecuting the church, ravishing them, uh, murdering them, or jailing them, whatever he could to disrupt. But we see this. We see the grace of God reach down to the deepest and most depraved heart in rescuing him. And I think this is a great example for us. Our past does not define us. Our past doesn't define us. It doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done, or what you're currently doing. Jesus' grace, his love, is sufficient. He can, no, you cannot out the grace of God. Uh, Jesus Christ died on the cross. He died for me and for you. He took our place, and his blood covers every sin. It doesn't matter how, what you've done, where you've been, what you've been doing, and who you've been doing it with. It does not matter. The grace of God is big enough to cover your sins. So you need to understand that. You also need to understand this. We see in chapter 9, when, when God uh, rescued uh, Saul, he had this Damascus experience where a, a light from heaven shone and the voice of God, Jesus Christ, speaks to him and says, why are you persecuting me? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Of course, he says, who, who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus. And of course, he goes, he's blinded. Um, someone is sent to him to pray for him. And over three days, he prays and fasts. And God opened his eyes through a, a servant. And then he goes about beginning to teach the gospel because he's enlightened. He begins to see how all of the Old Testament points to the person and work of Jesus Christ. So, um, God can use anyone to advance his kingdom, even a former terrorist. He can use anyone to advance his kingdom. So again, that gives me great news. Hopefully that gives you great news that it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter your past. God can use you to advance his kingdom. And that's what he wants to do. His goal in your life is to ultimately make disciples that make disciples that plant churches. That's what we're about. So our goal in life should be going about making. That's our primary goal in life. Our primary mission in life is to make disciples. Our secondary is, well, how do we find that out? Some of us, uh, if you're a stay-home mom, maybe you're doing that through your kids. Maybe you're doing it through other stay-home moms. Maybe you're doing it now virtually through people. Um, maybe you're a business owner, and so you're, you're discipling other business owners, or you're reaching other business owners. Maybe uh, maybe you're a sports fanatic, and so you love sports, and maybe you're doing it through doing a, uh, a fantasy football league, and it becomes an outreach. Or maybe you're coaching 
a team and you begin to disciple and share the gospel with parents and, and students. So there's all kinds of ways he does that, but God wants to use us to advance his kingdom. And it doesn't matter who you are or where you've been. God wants to use you and can use anyone. The second thing is, so we learned those lessons from Paul's salvation. I want to share with you what you can learn um, from his trials in life. Now, what I've learned in scripture and, and learned from life in general is that God tends to use two different types of trials. Uh, we see way back in Job, uh, this, this trial that I call trials of perfection. And so James tells us in James chapter 1, count it, my friend, all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the perfection um, God uses them for the perfection of your faith. Let me read it to you. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfast, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So understanding that God uses trials in our life uh, for perfection purpose. That's ultimately what he does. He's trying to uh, sanctify us, right? He's trying to use those trials in our life to do perfection in our life, to chip away those things that are not of him, uh, that we'll really uh, become more like his son. Another way is God uses these in, um, in this idea of uh, correction. We, we know this in Hebrews. Um, Hebrews 12, in fact, I was just reading, uh, just finished up Hebrews this last couple of weeks, um, been going through the book of Hebrews, and, and he talks about this. He talks about how we... We need to understand that God uses these things to correct us. So there's trials of perfection. There's trials, trials of correction. In, in chapter 12, um, verses 6, he says this, My son, do not disregard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be wary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. So as we... Uh, both go through trials of perfection and trials of correction. We need to understand in trials of correction, we, we don't need to take it too lightly. We also not, don't need to take it too hard in the sense of we, we uh, allow shame and um, the whispers of the enemy of condemnation um, come down on us because we, we know those who are in Christ, there's no condemnation for those in Christ. So we, we need to understand that, one, if we're being disciplined uh, from correction, that we should rejoice that we're a son or daughter of his. And so we should take re great rejoicing in that fact, just as those who are fathers or mothers that you understand that um, there's, or even you don't have to be a father or mother, you experience it in your own life that there's real beauty in discipline. I, I didn't like it as a kid, but as I got older, especially on my own, I realized not only did I need it, I probably needed more of it uh, because God uses that to, to really begin to mold me and shape me, um, not only when I was under my mother and father's household, but now as an adult, God uses that. And, you know, one of the things we say to our kids over and over when we have to correct them, when we have to discipline them, if I didn't care, if we we didn't love them, we would just let them go, right? We, we Just go, go go be a terror, uh, go, go be, um, you know, a troublemaker, go, go be arrogant. Whatever it is you're going to be, go do it. And we wouldn't care, but we only do it because we love them. And the same is true of Jesus. The reason he corrects us, the reason he has trials of correction is to make us more like his son. So that's the thing. One of the things we need to learn under trials 
uh, that we can learn from Paul. God uses trials to make us more like Jesus. Now, I don't know anyone that I can think of in modern day. There's, I'm sure there's missionaries out there. I'm sure uh, I've got, uh, my wife has a, a book that we read to the girls or she reads to the girls about missionaries. I've, I've got this book called The uh, Jesus Freak that I read. It's kind of one or two page stories of missionaries and, and many of them uh, suffer and are tortured and even are martyred for their faith. And it's heartbreaking. At the same time, it's, it's like this hero, these heroic stories. But I, I don't know any one individual that's faced as many trials that Paul did. I want you to think about this. In, in Acts 14, we, we know that he began to preach the gospel. He will always go to synagogues. Right out the gate, he gets stoned in Lystra. Uh, he gets set outside the city gates, and they think they leave him for dead. And then when the disciples come around him, he's raised up, and he begins to go on. We, we see that um, he wrote most of the New Testament from prison. So he was in prison. We see in Acts 16 that he was in shackles. Uh, he, he tells us that he was whipped uh, five different times, 39 lashes at a time. In 2 Corinthians 11, he tells us this. Um, he was beaten with rods three different times. Um, he was betrayed by his own former, uh, his own former friends or the Jewish uh, heritage. He was also betrayed by own, his own believers and betrayed by false teachers. We see that in 2 Timothy 1. He was shipwrecked. He was literally adrift at sea. And it says that he was in danger of rivers, robbers, wilderness, uh, the, the elements, cold. He was exposed out in the wilderness. He was hungry and thirsty. Uh, he, was, he was pursued by the Jewish elite who wanted to crush him and kill him. Um, and even he, he fell under the great anxiety and pressure of leading the churches. So he, he faced all of these things. In fact, we see in 2 Corinthians that Second uh, Corinthians 11 that, that he had a thorn in his flesh. And he, he prayed to God that God would remove this thorn. But, but God chose not to, just as we, we read at the beginning of this, that um, God says, my grace is sufficient for you. Where, I'm, where you're weak, I am glorified. And this is what we see in 2 Corinthians uh, 11. Um, now, I'm sorry, uh, we see his, his different things that happened to him in 2 Corinthians 11. It says this, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with a rod. I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night um, and a day, a sea at drift. On frequent journeys, in dangers and rivers, uh, and ro from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, without food, in cold and exposure. These are the things we see over and over Paul experienced. But when he said that he had a thorn in his flesh, um, he, he literally meant that. He, it says here that three times, now let me back up. This is in 2 Corinthians 12. He said in verse 7, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pled with the Lord about this, that it should be leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So this is what we see. We, we don't know exactly what um, that weakness 
or that uh, that thorn in that flesh was. Uh, some people speculate blindness. Um, some some speculate some type of illness. I will tell you my personal view on this. I, I think there he says a messenger from Satan was sent to him. Now, um, when we think about a messenger of God, right? We 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 think about an angel. A messenger of Satan, I think it's demonic. I think one of the things that happens with us, the enemy wants to attack our mind. I think it was the thoughts uh, that Saul struggled with. Because of his past, because he persecuted the Christians, he he murdered the Christians, I think it was his own past that many times would come up and haunt him. I have no way of proving that. There's, again, speculation on what that was. But I think for many of us, we struggle with our past, right? We struggle with our mistakes. We we struggle with the shame of the enemy and the condemnation of the enemy. And I think this is probably true for Paul. He struggled. He wished that this could be taken from him. Maybe as his past, maybe his thoughts of his struggle uh, with those things that he did. But we know there was some type of thorn in his flesh. So he he fought that on a daily. I, and I know we probably, many of you, just like me, we have things that we struggle with, we battle with, we there, there's something that even before we became Christ and maybe after we've come to Christ, we, we still struggle with. And, and the important thing is that we, we, give, we give our life over to Christ. We don't give in to that, right? So we trust in God that his grace is sufficient, that is, it's by grace through faith that we're saved, it's not of ourselves. But also in that struggle, whatever that is, that we also abide in his grace, knowing that not only are we saved by grace, we're saved through grace, right? in that biting grace as we walk through life. The third area I want to talk about, so I not only talked about uh, lessons from Paul's salvation, lessons from Paul's trials, but also lessons from Paul's mindset and attitude. I love um, Romans uh, 12 where it talks about this. It, it talks about that we need to understand that our worship is really this mindset, this attitude, right? It says this, appeal to you, this is Paul, appeal to you, therefore, brothers, um, in the mercies of God to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable God, which is your uh, spiritual worship. Do not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, this is, this is so important. We need to understand that um, Paul made it very clear we need to really understand if we're going to be transformed, it starts with our thoughts, right? It starts with our mindset. It starts with how we um, shape our attitude because what happens is our, our thoughts in our mind become the motivation behind our behavior. And so it's so important. And, and also we see in 2 Corinthians 10 that we need to bring every thought to make it obedient to Christ because we don't we don't uh, battle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against principalities in high places. So it's really this idea of reading in the Word, staying, meditating in the Word, memorize the Word. And as it begins to change us, allow that to change our attitude and change our actions. And so this is what we see, Paul really taking this seriously. So what do we see in this? We see um, Paul saying this. We need to love others. One of the biggest things we need to do is live this life of love. 1 Corinthians 13 talks about this. Uh, you, you can have incredible faith to move mountains. You can have great prophecy, gift of prophecy. Uh, you can do these incredible things, speak in tongues, whatever you, you think is these gifts of the Spirit, so to speak, that 
Um, but he says, listen, you can have all that, but if you do not love, it's like a bunch of noise. So ultimately, our greatest thing we can do, apart from loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, is love our neighbors ourselves. Well, who's our neighbor? Anyone we come in contact with, right? So understanding that uh, Paul is saying, even through all this hardship, I didn't feel sorry for myself. I didn't, I didn't become a victim. I didn't uh, have this uh, entitlement mentality. No, I love people with an unconditional love and an unconditional grace, just as Jesus rescued me with his grace and his mercy and his love. And so this is what we see, a real attitude of love for others. The other thing is, uh, we just talked about this in our podcast, Romans 13. Paul talks about a real respect for the government. So uh, Paul demonstrated uh, his mindset and his attitude is respecting the authorities because God ordained the authorities. So we should be um, law abiders, right? We should go about obeying the laws. Now, again, as we talked about in Daniel, there's a point where if a government turns evil and requires us to do evil deeds against God's will, then that's a different story. But as following God as we uh, follow the government um, is a prescription of what God desires for us in Romans 13. And then also this idea of growing in the fruit of the Spirit. Um, Paul talks about this in Galatians 5. We should be full of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the things that God's calling us to do. And we see Paul's life full of that, even in the midst of all these trials and hardships um, and, and really betrayals and all kinds of awful trials that he went through, and, and, and he never once had a pity party. He just continued to love others, continued to uh, demonstrate the fruits of the Spirit, just, uh, uh, just continued to uh, be a law abider uh, within the government and the things that he was required to do. Let me ask you something. Um, how do you react when hardships come your way? What do you do? Uh, you know, content and contempt are only two, two letters apart. You realize that? So content is to be satisfied. Oh, I'm sorry. Content is to be at peace, if you will, with the situation, right? Kind of be at peace uh, with understanding that, that God is in control. God is sovereign. God is good. And he uses all these things, these trials, um, the, the prosperity. He uses the, the problems. He uses everything, right? to all these different things he uses in our life, both the good and the bad, if, we, if you will, both the blessing and, and the, the suffering, um, both the t rich times and in poor times and in plenty as need, as Paul said, all these things he's become content, at peace, knowing that God is sufficient. So the other end of that is contempt. And really contempt is this, the meaning is an act of despising. And this is what we can find ourselves being. We, when we face hardship, our, our natural tendency is to despise our lives and, and our situation, which leads to a lack of contentment, right? And, and really, to me, contentment is very closely related to gratitude. And when we have an attitude of gratitude, there's something about how that leads to contentment um, and keeps us from contentment. Um, and so it is this attitude of gratitude. So are you grateful? I mean, each day I think about uh, if you have a roof over your head, if you have running water, um, if you have food on your table, that's 99% more and shoes on your feet. That's 99% more than the world, 99% uh, of the world has on a daily basis. And I tell our girls over and over, most kids 
uh, in third world countries, don't, they don't know where their next meal is coming from. They have to go to a dump. They have to go out in the field and hunt or, or, or scavenge uh, different things. Do it. And many times they even have to steal uh, to just get the next meal that they want. And so here we are in America. Most of us could lose a few pounds. Our dogs are on average 20 pounds, 25 pounds overweight. And, and we still complain about our circumstances. And, and I just wonder if, if we're looking really in the, in the broad sense, what are we really complaining about? Why, why would we not be content instead of being contempt? Um, you know, even in the worst of seasons, we can find contentment in Christ and not in our circumstances. We see again um, where uh, Philippians talks about this. I want to read over in, in Philippians chapter 4. Paul talks about this. He shares this. Philippians 4, 11 through 13, he says this. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstances, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So in other words, God is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. And, and, and through these tough times, God has taught Paul and he wants to teach us to be content. See, our hope is not in our circumstances, but in God. We know and we live for him. We should find our hope, our faith, our promises, and ultimately our salvation in Christ. And if we have that, what else do we really need? Um, contentment uh, doesn't come from ourselves. Uh, it doesn't come from other people. It doesn't come from our, our situation or our circumstances. No, it comes in a personal relationship with God, a God who created us and a God who loves us. That's where we find contentment. So let me ask you, as we look at Paul's life and the things that he went through. None of us have faced those kind of trials. But in the middle of that, he still found contentment. He rests in the grace of God. So I've got to ask you this question. Are you resting in the grace of God and finding your contentment in Christ alone? Because it's only in him that you can find true contentment. And it's only by the grace of God that you can find that. Would you rest in that today? Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for our day. Thank you for your goodness and your graciousness. God, would you do a work that only you can do? And God, that's to use your word and God, to use the power of your Holy Spirit to pierce people's hearts. God, help us to realize, God, your grace is sufficient. And God, we can find true contentment in you in a personal relationship with you. Father, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope you have a great day and God bless. This has been the weekly podcast from Spotswood at Lady Smith in Caroline County, Virginia, USA. Thanks for listening and God bless you.